As I keep watching the Big 12 Conference night after night, I've come to this question that I got to welcome in and talk to my friend Matthew Postens about, and that is whether or not the Big 12 is too deep and really too good for its own good. I'm Pete Mundo. Heartland College Sports is the show, of course, covering the Big 12 Conference. Always appreciate you being here, whether it's on YouTube, which you should hit that like button, hit that subscribe button at the bottom of the video on the podcast. Same deal. You know what to do. And our radio affiliates, we always appreciate you guys as well being a part of the show. So Matthew, uh, you watch this league when it comes to basketball more than anybody this side of Fran Fraschilla, probably more because, you know, you're never calling a game. You're actually watching every one of these games. True. I keep wondering whether or not this league is so deep and so good it might actually hurt itself come March because they're worn out. And on top of that, I think there's a ton of depth, but I don't know if there's a final four team in here. What about you? Well, it's an interesting question because it's sort of the, the eating your own old own young theory, you know, you, you feed on yourselves for three months and then you go into the tournament. Like you said, you're, you're kind of exhausted. I could see that being a potential problem just because if you just watch the games this week, most of them were incredibly rigorous. I mean, mm-hmm. wild lead changes, you know, the, the game between Kansas state and Iowa state last night featured 47 fouls, which is just too many for any basketball game of any kind. Um, but I think that there's a lot of parody nationally, you know, and, and I don't get to watch a lot of games outside of the big 12, but there seems to be a lot of parity around the country just in terms of other conferences either having the same issue or maybe not being as quality as they have been in the past. For instance, mm-hmm. the Mountain West has six teams potentially that could make their way into the tournament in March. They're that good this year. Yeah, I'm not sure the Big Ten will have that many when it's all said and done just because I don't think they're as good a conference this year as they mm-hmm. have been in years past. So if you think about how the Big 12 has shaped up this year, I don't think that adding the four new teams has hurt their overall NCAA net as much as I thought it would, at least not right now. So I think there's definitely a possibility of nine or 10 teams making the tournament. But then once you get in, you're kind of at the mercy of what the seating is, where you're uh, situated. And in fact, if you looked at the last bracketology, hmm There were two situations where big 12 teams could have met in the sweet 16. And that's something that the tournament tries to avoid when they create. They don't want to do that. that. They don't, they don't want big 12 teams meeting in the sweet 16. They don't want any conferences meeting in the sweet 16, but because there could be so many big 12 teams in the, in the bracket, it could be unavoidable. So you've, you've got a good point about a lot of teams getting out of the first weekend but maybe not getting out of the, the second weekend and into the final four, because a lot of it's going to depend on matchups, fatigue, and maybe them picking themselves off as they get into the sweet 16, if they get end up with nine or 10 teams in the tournament. Yeah, no, it's, it's, it's going to be a great next few weeks to analyze all this. Now, when you look at the games this week in the big 12, it was big Monday, Kansas takes care of Cincinnati. We then had four games on Tuesday, Houston beats BYU, Texas takes care of Oklahoma. UCF over West Virginia, TCU beats Oklahoma State on the road. And then there was uh, the one game you referenced earlier on Wednesday, and that was Iowa State taking care of Kansas State at home. To me, of those games, the biggest win of the week was Texas beating Oklahoma. Coming off that Baylor game, 
Was Texas going to sink or swim? Was that just kind of this fleeting moment where Texas had a great moment at home after a tough week, Rodney Terry drama, all that stuff we talked about last week, or they're going to keep that momentum going and play up to their potential. And to me, I mean, they, they, they took care of Oklahoma, especially dominating that second half. So, Texas, to me, gets the biggest win of the week. What about you? Well, I liked what they did against Oklahoma because they shot the ball well, and they, again, had a third option. This time it was actually uh, Caden Shedrick, uh, one of their young players who stepped up along with Dylan DeSue and Max Abmus in that atmosphere, a sold-out game at Lloyd Noble. As long as Texas has three viable offensive options in each game, they're going to be highly competitive. The West Virginia game, they got hurt because they were relying max on Dylan to sue too much. Same thing in their losses to, to uh, their other losses in conference. When they when they're just relying on those two players, they're going to struggle. When they have a third player step up like Tyrese Hunter or Shedrick or even Dylan Mitchell, they're they're going to be competitive. I think they'd rather one player be that player that steps up every game. But Texas might settle into a situation where maybe it's Shedrick one game, maybe it's Hunter one game, maybe it's Dylan Mitchell one game. But they've got to have that viable third option, and they had that Tuesday night against Oklahoma, and it really, it really hurt Oklahoma defensively because I think they really wanted to focus on those two players. But between Shedrick and Mitchell, they did enough to keep Oklahoma from being able to double team those guys. Yeah. So uh, was that the biggest win of the week for you, or I mean, I think you can make the case for Houston over BYU on the road. Um, would you go there or would you agree with me on Texas? I, I would. I, I like Houston's win a little bit more than Texas's because Texas had already won a road game in the Big 12. Yep. Houston needed to win a road game. We talked a couple weeks ago after they had that stretch against Iowa State and TCU. And I'm sure Kelvin Sampson and LJ Cryer have been telling their guys for months, hey, the Big 12's different. Big 12 on the road is different. And you know, like a famous philosopher Mike Tyson said, everybody has a plan <laughs> until you get punched in the face. And Houston got punched in the face in those two games. So I was yeah. really interested to see how they would play against BYU in a sold-out environment on the road. They made adjustments. They were still aggressive on defense, but I felt like they chose their spots in terms of when they double-teamed. Mm-hmm. But really, the big thing was they finally got LJ Cryer going. And there are yes. two losses in the road. He scored 10 combined points. The other night he was their leading scorer. If he and Jamal shed play that way, the entire rest of the way, Houston's going to be really hard to deal with. I I agree. Um, Now you put this up. This is a great stat from the Houston BYU game. And you put this up on the message boards, which I encourage everybody to join. Mm -hmm. They're free at heartlandcollegesports.com. Click on the members forum tab. You got a lot of different Big 12 fans that are really helping us build this community on the message boards. So here's the stat that should concern BYU fans. They are 38% from three-point in their wins in the Big 12. They're shooting 33% from three-point land in their losses in the Big 12. And they were 29% in that game against Houston. Now, if you've watched 10 minutes of BYU basketball this year, you know it is bombs away. Yeah. But as you noted, as we get through conference play, I, I think this BYU team is going to have to be a little bit more selective. The question is, does Mark Pope want to do that? Well, you got to remember when Mark Pope played for Kentucky back in the 90s, that was kind of a bombs away team. You know, yeah. that was kind of what they did back then. So 
that's part of his philosophy as a coach. And the thing is, when they're firing, I mean, when everybody in that team is hitting, they're really hard to deal with. Yep. And they play a five-out offense. So they don't always have guys underneath the basket to rebound. So they're really relying on making sure that their guards follow their shots, that forwards mm-hmm. crash the glass and that kind of thing. You know, it's the thing. The funny thing in that Houston game was they started off 40% from the three-point line. When they flashed that stat up, they were 40% for the game. And that was like late in the first half. And things yeah. just dropped off in the second half. And I think it was because Houston frustrated them on defense. They did a good job of contesting threes. They forced them into threes. I don't think they wanted to shoot. And then, of course, Trevin Nell missed that one just wide open three pointer. And sometimes when you've been harassed an entire game yeah. by you know contested shots, sometimes the worst thing you can end up with is an uncontested three because it kind of oddly enough, it disrupts your rhythm a little bit. So that's what they're going to live and die by. It's sort of like the Oklahoma women. Everybody on that team has a green light. And if you didn't see their game Wednesday night, they scored 91 points on Texas, which probably has the best team defense in the entire conference. So if you're going to live by it, you're going to win by it, and you're also going to lose by it. And I felt like from a from that standpoint of the BYU-Houston game, BYU lost that game simply because they did not shoot well from the three-point line. I felt like they did everything else well in that game. But as the game went on, their three-point shooting just fell into the ground. And they're going to have to find other ways to create offense if they're going to sustain the kind of success they've had to this point this season. Yeah. Uh, Matthew Postens is here on Heartland College Sports. I'm Pete Mundo. And uh, if you're joining us on the radio show, we always appreciate you guys. If you're on YouTube, hit that like button and that thumbs up button as well and and, uh, subscribe to the channel. And same thing on the podcast. Thank you guys for being here and for uh, being a part of the show. Now, Kansas, they beat Cincinnati on Big Monday. It wasn't pretty. I mean, this is a Kansas team. They were up, what, 12 in the first half. Cincinnati closes the gap. It's tied at halftime. Uh, Johnny Furphy suddenly, you know, in front of his parents, their first trip to Allen Fieldhouse, great story. He drops 23. But I just, Matthew, I, and I think Bill Self would admit it, I don't think they have the depth of a traditional Kansas team. And I think right now Bill Self's trying to figure out Who's who's my six, seven, eight? I mean, I think he's only got four. He probably feels really good about. What about you? This team is always, to me, kind of had depth issues once it gets into conference play. Because I think self, to a certain degree, really only likes to rely on seven, yes, maybe yep. eight guys in his rotation. Nah. He's not a big expandable rotation kind of mm-hmm. guy. The national championship team a couple years ago being sort of the the outlier because he relied on nine guys, including Lightfoot, Remy Martin off the bench, that kind of thing. I think their biggest problem right now, aside from just potential depth issues is, and Bill Self said this after the game, we're not going to be a great rebounding team, but we need to be a good rebounding team. Mm-hmm. Cincinnati out rebounded them by double digits on Monday night, West Virginia, when they beat them in Morgantown also out rebounded them by double digits and Raekwon battle their guard, was their leading rebounder in that game for West Virginia. That tells me one that he's got guys in the perimeter who are not blocking out like they should be, but also they really miss Jalen Wilson in this area from last year. He was one of the best rebounding forwards in the entire country in terms of crashing the glass from 10 to 15 feet in and grabbing seven, eight rebounds a game. They don't really have that right now. Furphy could be that guy. He would, he had, Along with the points, he hit double digits and rebounds the other night. He had his first career double-double. So if he can replicate some of that for them, that will help. But they're going to have to get better 
a at blocking out on the perimeter because it's really a bad sign fundamentally if you're letting a guard be the other team's leading rebounder mm-hmm. and b it's probably time to give hunter dickinson a little kick in the butt because when you're seven two you need to be a walking double double in this conference i i i mean he hunter dickinson god bless him but man sometimes um, he's too busy trying to get a flop down low. It's like hit the boards, buddy. You're seven two. Let's go. Yeah, I mean, there's there's no real excuse when you're seven two to not be <laughs> averaging. And you know, he's got a good average. I mean, I'm not gonna sit here and tell you he doesn't have a good average for the season rebounding wise, but the last three or four games, the numbers aren't there. I mean, he only had six rebounds against Cincinnati. And granted, Cincinnati has a couple seven footers they can throw yeah, at you. They got but guys. he needs to consistently be around 10 rebounds a game if he can give them that that mitigates some of their issues in the perimeter but if it's just going to be like six seven rebounds a game it's then you got to start thinking about well maybe do we bring hunter dickinson out which they do sometimes to shoot threes they they've just got to get him into a flow where he's giving them more on the glass yeah that's exactly what i'm seeing now the wednesday game the standalone game on wednesday night was iowa state beating kansas state 78 to uh 67 and uh, you know there's a lot of off court not a lot but there's obviously some off court drama around this game what happened between tang and Ots. but in the game itself, Matthew, the story coming out of this game is the continued confidence boost and progression of Curtis Jones. You yeah. saw this guy blossom over the weekend with Lipsy out. He comes in, he plays great on Saturday, um, leads Iowa State to a big win. But now you see him come off the bench with Lipsy back in the lineup, and he drops 18 points. And, uh, you know, he's got that confidence that I didn't see at the beginning of conference play. Um, and, you know, I know he had some good games in non-con, but really when you get to the big 12, that's when it matters. So yeah. to me, the development of Curtis Jones continues to stand out here and, and really impress me the last couple of games. What do you take away from the Iowa state win? What else do you take away? Yeah. I mean, I, I think I was actually talking to the Iowa radio guys earlier and we were kind of talking about that game and Kashawn Gilbert, you know, stood out as well. He had a double double in that game. Mm-hmm. And, what I'm seeing from them now is, you know, the defense is there as we always expect it to be with Iowa state, but really now they have like eight guys that could hurt you offensively from Jones and Gilbert and, and Lipsy to their inside guys like uh, Robert Jones. Um, you know, you know, Trey, uh, Trey King was in foul trouble last night, mm-hmm. but he helped them out. Hassan Ward is averaging close to, to eight a game. So they've got seven guys offensively now that can really hurt you. And they need that depth because of the way they play defense, as much energy as they expend on the defensive side of the floor, they need to have a core of about eight, nine guys that they can rotate in. And as long as seven of those guys are giving them eight or nine points a game, you're going to see them, you know, pull away from a team like Kansas state. The interesting thing to me was in the final four minutes of that game, as much energy as Iowa state expended defensively, they were the better team the final four minutes. I think it was like a 13-1 run to seal the win. I, I don't necessarily see them as, as any quicker or more athletic than Kansas State, but it surprised me that they were the ones that were kind of able to exert their influence in the game the final four minutes. And perhaps that was just, you know, all that defense they played setting that up for that final run. You know, I look at this stretch. I, Kansas State had a great start to league play, 4-1. and one. Do I think they're going to hold on to it? No, I don't. Um, 
on Wednesday night, that started a stretch of four games in five games where they've got ranked opponents at Iowa State. They're at Houston on Saturday, home to Oklahoma, and then two games later, they've got Kansas. I, I think that as much as I think we all like what Jerome Tang is doing with this team, I think it's fair to wonder if this sugar high to start league play is going to come crashing back down to earth. Not because they're a bad team, but they're entering every Big 12 team or most of them have kind of one of these stretches that helps define how you get through a season. And to me, these next five games starting Wednesday night is going to kind of define what exactly Kansas State is going to be this year. Yeah, I, I would agree. And, you know, I the thing that I like about where they're at right now is that I think we all kind of expected Tyler Perry to be their leading scorer. And it's actually ended up becoming Cam Carter and, and Arthur Columa. They're their two leading scorers right now. So the transfer that he cultivated two years ago from LSU – the two transfers he cultivated this year have been, you know, really instrumental in their start. The thing that I'm interested in is, you know, when they lost Naquan Tomlin, I was like, okay, well, where are they going to get their interior offense? Kaluma's given them some of that, but he's a mm -hmm. he's also a really good three point shooter. I mean, he's forty percent from the arc, so you don't really want him anchored inside yeah. the whole time. You know, McNair's given them some nice minutes. Uh, Gasson, you know, is not really an offensive guy, but he's still giving them seven and a half and seven rebounds a game. So they're manufacturing something inside. But when they run into these teams that have the seven footers, Cincinnati, UCF, Kansas, which they, you know, I, I don't think they've run into any of them yet um, at this point, that's going to give them trouble. Texas Tech is kind of the same way. They don't really have, um, you know, a, a couple of really big guys that they can use inside. They're manufacturing it. So, you know, when they get into those games, that's what's going to give them trouble. And I mean, you know, they had trouble with, you know, Iowa State's interior guys last night. None of them are seven foot. None of them are, are those high level seven footers that we talk about. So that's going to be their their issue as they go along in Big 12 play, not the perimeter play. They've got that covered and they're playing very well there. It's, you know, how much offense and how much rebounding can they manufacture inside? Because like Kansas against Cincinnati, they were out rebounded pretty badly by Iowa State Wednesday night. They were. Um, Matthew, let's look at Saturday here. Uh, we've got a couple of minutes to go. I look at Saturday. Uh, the game that stands out is the game on CBS. Kansas at Iowa State. Uh, that place is going to be going bonkers. Top 25 matchup. <laughs> um, you know, the two teams coming off their bye weeks, and every Big 12 team has a week where they're not playing during the week. Baylor and Texas Tech were on their, quote, bye weeks this week. So they yeah. still have five conference games under their belts. You're going to be at TCU Baylor. I think that's a great game. Um, so let's leave KU Iowa State out of it just because I think we all would say consensus that's the best game of the week. What do you think when you look at the schedule in the Big 12 on Saturday is the best game? Do you want me to go first? Or do you want to go first here in the next in the next minute? Why don't you go first? Because I need to find the schedule. <laughs> okay. All right. Uh, I'm going to go and, and I'm going to throw a, um, a wild card game out there. I want to see Texas Tech on the road against Oklahoma. OU's coming off that loss, of course, against Texas during the week. Texas Tech, as I noted, had its bye week. They beat BYU in comeback fashion on Saturday. Another tough road test this week. I, I just want to see if Texas Tech's for real. If they get this win on the road, I will feel better about that. How about you? I, I'm going to take the game that I'm at with TCU and, and Baylor for – a couple of reasons from Baylor's perspective, they lost two straight going into that, that bye week. 
um, you know, that gave Scott Drew a week to correct correct some things. And let's understand the reason they have a buy is because there's no Big 12 SEC challenge. Correct. Yeah. Uh, so every team gets that Saturday to Saturday break. So with them losing two straight, that gives them a really good opportunity to kind of recalibrate things. I'm interested to see how they handle TCU's pressure defensively. I'm interested to see how TCU handles uh, what Baylor has inside with Misi and some of their other forwards. It's a, it's a different dimension. Misi is more of an athletic big than some of the other bigs that are in the conference. Um, Emmanuel uh, Miller is playing some fantastic basketball right now. I'm really interested to see how Baylor handles him because you know, unlike last year when everything kind of flowed through Mike Miles, everything's kind of flowing through Emmanuel Miller this year. And it's and things are a little bit different when the offense flows through the forward as opposed to the guard. And he's a really good passer, so he can facilitate some things around the perimeter that uh, their point guards can do as well. So it makes them more versatile, and it gives them the opportunity to stretch defenses out just a little bit more. Well, I cannot wait. It is going to be an awesome Saturday of Big 12 Hoops. I'm Pete Mundo, Heartland College Sports. He's Matthew Postens. Matthew, always good stuff, man. Uh, thanks for being on the show. We appreciate you. You bet. And, and don't forget, I'll be there Saturday. I, I will check out the camera angle. Yes, that's right. All the drama around the Baylor <laughs> camera angle. We'll be following that, my man. Good stuff. We appreciate you. You bet. All right. And uh, before you head out on YouTube, like, subscribe to the show. We appreciate that. Same thing on the podcast. And um, always great to have our radio affiliates as well joining us on Heartland College Sports. And hop on those message boards. That's where you're going to get those little nuggets from uh, Matthew. They're free to sign up. We want to welcome on all Big 12 fans and keep building that community. Click on the Members Forum tab at the top of the homepage. Have a great day. Go Big 12. And check us out at heartlandcollegesports.com. See you later.